Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. We're just two guys who are on that journey with you as you discover that, as you process that, as you struggle through it. And uh, we're excited to do so. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to be, it's kind of a continuation from last week. And so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I really want to encourage you to do so where we talk about morality. We're going to talk about a kind of morality that is always full of so many assumptions and baggage within the Christian church that having a good foundation of morality, at least I believe having a good foundation on what you think about morality will help this conversation. And you've seen the title, so you kind of know what it's going to be about. It's about uh, sexual morality. S-E-X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we get started, let me just make clear what most of you already know. I am a cisgendered, white, straight guy. The morality of uh, the church that we're going to be talking about for the majority of this episode Although the particular expression is not mine, it's not one that I need to really be concerned about within the church uh, if I were to just kind of go along with things. Of course, if I care about other people, then I want to. But um, So for me, talking about this, I always want to give other people more of a voice, um, especially women in this conversation. And uh, although we don't have a woman on for this conversation, it'd be kind of weird if we did for the first time, at least. Mm -hmm. um, we want to at least recognize, I want to recognize my place in this conversation because there's only so much I can say uh, along with that. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I am also cisgendered white dude. Now I'm gay, I'm not straight, but, um, I think we just wanted to be a little reflexive about that at the beginning, just because that informs our experiences and perspectives that we have on this kind of stuff. And we can really only talk about our own experiences and then the things we've observed that have happened to people or as a result of this kind of stuff. But we recognize we can't, we can't hit every perspective and gay or straight, we're still men. And so some of this that we'll talk about uh, has some pretty, difficult effects on women. And so we can talk about that, but only in the sense that men can talk about that. So um, just kind of wanted to put that out there at the beginning. Uh, the only other thing is I don't think we're going to talk about anything particularly scandalous, but if I don't know if anybody listens to this with their children, but if you do, it's kind of up to you. But uh, there may be things we talk about that you may not want to talk about with them yet. So just kind of a uh, warning at the beginning, if that's important for you. Yeah, so we want to start by doing what we usually do, which is set kind of a foundation of the conversation, and we want to talk about what a sexual morality, as we've been taught, what what is the idea of a sexual morality, before we get into specifics of what it looks like, but what's the idea of a sexual morality, Ryan? You know, what I was taught is that we have whatever our sexual morality is, um, which we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes, uh, it's because we want to honor God with our bodies, right? From Romans mm. 12, kind of that idea. I'm not saying that yeah. was the only place it came from, but this idea. And so we live in a way that is sexually moral or our 
biblical morals inform our sexuality, how our sexual acts, however you want to put that, is because in so doing, we are honoring God. And um, I, I remember people even talking about it in the sense of if our body is a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, oh, yeah. then we want to make sure that we are not polluting it with uh a sexual immorality kind of idea and uh, i don't think that's hyperbole that was really the kind of stuff that was talked about um no i don't know if anybody said this and maybe we'll get to it later but i don't think anybody said that the sexual mor morals were more important than the other ones but it it sure seemed like it um given how it was talked about i mean was that basically the same for you or yeah uh I, I thought to myself as you were talking, the the sexual morality that we were taught was, yeah, to honor God. But the best way we honor God is by honoring his institution of marriage. Okay. Um, yeah. That's how we were really taught it. Um, I I can't... <laughs> Like we, we had this, we had strains like this of like corrupting your body, polluting mm -hmm. your body and all that. But really it was about protecting marriage as mm -hmm. far as I could tell, um, as far as I remember. Yeah. See, that's interesting because I'm sure that everyone who taught me about this stuff, whether parents, youth pastors, whoever, right. Um, in the youth pastor's case, sometimes hilariously so. Uh, but whoever taught, they would agree with that, right? Like, I think that marriage and, quote, defending marriage would probably be involved in this. But as I recall, it was more of a individual thing about sexual, quote, purity, whatever that means, um, as a sense to not be sinning. And then I think marriage would come in in the sense that like that's how in some ways you could boil it down to well if as long as you're married then you're good um yeah. you know so it is about marriage in that sense but i remember it in reflection being more about my own personal or a person's specific relationship with god um and i suppose other people but mostly about mm -hmm. that rather than marriage specifically i think for us it was the exact opposite where we would have things that would put, be polluting us. Like if we defiled ourselves or corrupted ourselves, that would be a consequence of our not honoring God and his, his law, his institution of marriage. Uh, it would simply be a consequence of that. And so I think that we're probably going to talk a lot about the same kind of stuff. It's just a different starting point and end point, I think, based off of what we've talked about just here. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Did I make sense? Yeah, no, that made sense. It's like we often find there's so many similarities and often it comes from the different direction. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's not the same at all, but in this case, it sounds like we have a lot of the same things at play. It's just kind of approaching it from different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Mind, feel, I mean, Lutherans whatever. love protecting systematic theology. So if there's uh, anything about protecting something God gives us, uh, then we're going to do that. Like, you know, communion is a big one for us. We uh -huh. protect that like crazy. So marriage would be a natural thing for us. But as you said, we're going to have the same kind of issues, although um, the big one is, uh, is going to be looking a little different in both of our expressions. And so I want to move to that because there's a lot of people who are listening would know about 
the purity culture, mm-hmm. which is a fundamental or not fundamental. Well, I guess it's fundamental, I mean, but an yeah. evangelical expression of sexual morality during the time that we grow up, grew up up until the current time. I'm sure it's got roots outside of that, but its current expression has been going on for 30 so years, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, I suspect it's still happening for some unfortunate children who are being subjected to it still. But um, I think part of why it has declined, at least I think, uh, is because a lot of us who were part of it have begun realizing the effects of it. And uh, spoiler, they weren't good. So what is purity culture? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a it was a 90s, early 2000s thing, um, at least in my experience of it. It probably existed in some form before that. But I think it really kind of uh, grew into itself, if you if you will, in right around the period of our adolescence, probably. I mean, you're a little bit older than me, but we're in the same. And with this kind of stuff, it would have been close. Um, And so what it was for me was um, this idea that there is a state of purity that we exist in, um, I guess, when we're virgins. And like I said before, we need to maintain that purity by honoring God with our bodies. And so what I was always taught was it was a list of things that you do not do um, in a way to live up to that purity code. Because once you have sex, if you're not married, then you are now impure. Right. That that's the whole purity. That's where the purity thing comes into it. You are defiled, soiled, you know, whatever. It won't surprise you to hear that the consequences were more severe for women than men, but I think we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit. Um, it was more than sex, right? It was right. It it was, gosh, it was holding hands with some it was people. Physical contact, it was masturbation, it was pornography, it was, I mean, pretty much any sexual anything. <laughs> fit within this purity code that it was really was it was a purity code that we were given um and sometimes like i I can think of one hilarious example that i still talk about sometimes because it because it is just a perfect encapsulation of the absurdity of this stuff i so one time my youth pastor we had a pretty small youth group there's probably eight or ten of us in our church and um And let's just say we were all smart kids and we had a low tolerance for bullshit. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, we were doing like this. He was doing this video series with us and it was on various things. And it wasn't all about this, but one week was about sexual purity, so to speak. And we had this workbook that we were going through. And, you know, it was ridiculous enough because our youth pastor was talking to us about sex, but he couldn't bring himself to say penis or vagina. So right there, it's kind of like, well... (laughs) You may not be the best person to be doing this, right? Um, You know, awkward 21-year-old virgins might not be the best people to teach youth about sex. But hey, whatever. They didn't ask me. Um, (laughs) Anyway, this one week on sexual purity, it was trying to illustrate this principle that like uh, sex is the slipperiest of slippery slopes kind of idea because like it starts pretty innocent. And then before you know it, you got there's pregnancy and AIDS and death. And I'm only right. sort of exaggerating there, uh, you know, and in some ways I'm not. But I remember it had this illustration of like how this chain of temptation works. And the first step was something like, like one leads to the next, right? So the first one was like hand holding, And then I kid you not, the next one was super hand holding, and, <laughs> and I don't know what that is. I, we never could get a 
a clear answer is it on what caressing that was. people's hands. I mean, I guess I don't know, but it went from that to hugging and super hugging and kissing and super kissing. And my favorite, it finally put etc. And then you know it was after etc. Pregnancy. Super etc. <laughs> no, I'm I'm deadly serious. And the whole thing <laughs> fell apart for the rest of the night when my brother raised his hand and said, "Could I get a diagram of super etc. please? Because I'm just not sure what that is." <laughs> but I mean, like it's like not everything was like that. But that kind of thing, like I said, I for me perfectly exemplifies the absurdity of how all this was, because it's this idea basically that anything sexual, whether it's thoughts or anything, like I said, from masturbation to full on sex, um, whatever it may be, it's all bad unless you're married. And then at which point you can do whatever you want, apparently. And when I say that, I mean, the man can do whatever he wants. And hopefully she's on board because that's her job. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I know. It's just awful. But uh, that story I shared was kind of just uh, kind of typical of like when your whole message is don't, um, you kind of run out of things to say. And so you you, fi you find yourself in their absolutely bonkers place of teaching teenagers about super, et cetera. <laughs> that just kills me. I mean, it's it was something I, I've never seen a a youth you know, whatever it was, it was a Sunday school or a Wednesday night or whatever it was. I've never seen something degenerate so fast and never recover. Like how, if you're teaching that, how do you recover from someone asking you for a diagram of super, et cetera? I just don't, yeah, I don't think right. it's recoverable at that point. <laughs> it's pretty wild, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it was, I just, I still can't get like, yeah. You know, and there were plenty of people like they could, there was a, um, there were plenty of nurses in the church who could have talked about sex with us and actually talked about it. You know, I mean, there's mm -hmm. any way, number of ways this could have been done that was not absurd, but the whole purity culture itself, like I said, when the whole thing, when all it has to say is don't, because if you do, you're ruined. Well, there's not, I mean, there's not much to say after that. Right. Right. Yeah, so purity culture is about maintaining your purity mm -hmm. um, before God or before other people or both. I think it was before God, but it was also in reference to this is, I think, where marriage came in. It was also pure in reference to your future spouse, right? Um, because, you know, that idea of if you have sex before you're married, you are spoiled, right? Your virginity is something that can never be, you can't ever get it back. So once you do it, you've kind of ruined things for the future. Um, and uh, so, yes, it was first, I think it was always talked about in terms of your relationship with God, but just as much, or at least immediately after that, it was about your relationship with your future spouse, because, you know, everybody's going to get married someday. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That is the chief goal and end of life, marriage and children. So, um, which is a whole nother issue, but right. So I imagine you didn't have any talks about super, et cetera, but uh, I mean, so, <laughs> at least God, I hope not. So what, uh, what was, you know, what did you have in terms of this growing up? So my direct connection to purity culture is there's actually a girl I liked and <laughs> she gave me Harris's book. Um, oh, Josh, guys, yeah, yeah. I kissed dating Josh, goodbye. Yeah. And that was like the worst thing, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I like this girl. I want to date her. And she gives me this book. I kiss dating goodbye. And I'm like, 
Oh. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and because I'm, I don't know if I shared this on the podcast before, but because I'm such a, a Enneagram five, I, I decided to read the book to try to poke yeah. holes in it. Of course. And yes. Show her the wrong, the error of her way. And... <laughs> See, you should kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after I read it, I was like, uh, okay, I guess I'm, I'm done with this girl. Lost um, cause is not worth cause. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and ironically enough, these days, Mr. Harris has come out and I know if you'll pardon the phrase, he's not gay, but he's come out and said how damaging all of that stuff was. And then he no longer believes in God and, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah, anyway. Anyway, so we we were taught kind of, as, as I said in the beginning part, that marriage is what we need to focus on. And mm-hmm. so we had the same kind of language, like. Uh, you know, if you, uh, have sex before marriage, then you, I don't think they use the actual word, but you ruin yourself. And, you know, as Ryan was clear, let's, let's point it out kind of directly. We're really talking about women being ruined. Um, men, they get a slap on the wrist and yeah, there's an uncomfortable period for men like me, but generally teenage boys, they don't, they don't get seen in this culture as being ruined they just get seen as being boys will be boys type right. thing and well and uh, if a, if a ma- if a teenage boy loses his virginity I, I mean i don't even know if they would say it that way although i maybe they would but like you said it's more i remember like they'd have these horrible object lessons about what you know what it's like once you've had sex and you've uh, you know you can't get it back and it would be things like ripping petals off of flowers or um Gosh, I'm trying to remember. There were some terrible ones. Was but, the toothpaste one? Yeah, the toothpaste. You can't get it back in the tube. But I yeah. mean, there was like most of them were keyed on this. Uh, once that has happened, you're ugly and worthless. And uh. are you forgivable? Maybe. But all of that stuff seemed much more keyed to women than it was to men. Because like you yeah. said, men, well, men are men. They're going to do what they're going to do. Nobody said that, but this was the assumption, right? right. Um, and so once I remember, uh, I remember them, I don't know if I heard it or was told about it, probably some of both, but women being told that, you know, if they have sex with 10 people or whatever the number is, then um, it's going to be like asking your husband to have sex with all those 10 people you had with or something. Oh, yeah. Like, like you are that. totally ruined forever. And it was just just terrible, just awful. Yeah, we had those things, but I don't think we had anything comprehensive about... So the best way to say it, I think, is we had moments where this pressure would come up, but my experience as a cisgendered white straight dude was that it wasn't talked about very much. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when it came to pornography, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's talked about. Right. Yeah. That that was uh, well, it's talked about, but not talked about. Right. It's in that shameful way of doing things like you. You can't have pornography. Otherwise, it's like you're having adultery is usually what right. would be talked about. So um, that was definitely something that was talked about a lot that registered with teenage boys more because I mean, it's more likely with teenage boys, I would assume. Well, and you have to remember, too, that 
our people our age were the first generation to grow up with internet pornography, right? So like even people our parents' age and certainly old people older than them, you hear stories about them hoping to find playboys in the woods or something. Like apparently this was yeah. a thing uh-huh. that would happen, you know? And Gosh, so- I remember all the stories from my youth person. It wasn't anything crazy like yours, but it was all like, hey, we're going to go down to the store and buy pornography stories. And it's like, who does that? Right, exactly. <laughs> because the like, so I think I think part of this was people like uh, our parents, like not just yours and mine. I mean, in general, trying to wrestle with the fact of how difficult this has now become when it's so ubiquitous and easily ac- accessible and um, that kind of stuff. Well, I would say even with pornography, it's not nearly as much. I mean, still, you don't get to the point where you're ruined. It's more. Like, uh, you know, you're, you're sinning against your future mm-hmm. spouse type thing. And of course against God, but it, there was never like to the point of real huge trauma of, Hey, you're now a terrible, worthless human being. Right. Um, and you're not going to have good sex. I mean, there were whispers right. of that kind of stuff, but not nearly from what I've heard for women who have spoken that. So, um, I would say generally that's kind of how we experience. I didn't know anything about purity culture. We didn't talk about purity as much as we talked about uh, holding to God's mm-hmm. law and his plan for your life type thing. Yeah. And I mean, then there are expressions of the purity culture that are even much more terrible. That was never something I experienced. Like you hear about... Um, uh, daughters like having weird purity ceremonies where they basically marry their fathers kind of thing, like as a way to like pledge purity f- until they're married. And it's yeah. horribly, it's, it's fucking Awful. weird and it's really misogynistic and controlling and, and kind of weird incesty feeling. But anyway, like that was never something for me, mostly because I think for even people in the evangelical world, that's crazy. Right. Um, <laughs> well, but that does happen in some cases. Um, that was like, it was even taken. I'm not saying they actually married their fathers, but there was this, like there's up to the point of like wearing wedding dresses and having a ceremony where they pledge purity to their fathers kind of stuff. Like it was yeah. just, it's just awful. It's just they got terrible. their own little certificates and yeah. Yep. I think, and I remember purity rings were a thing, right. although I never had one. Um, that was a little later for me. I was uh, in college by the time the Jonas brothers were big with that. Right. Yeah, um, that's true. They were. And uh, let's just say the Jonas brothers have changed their tune. Since <laughs> I think the Jonas brothers were towards the end of it, maybe because of what they did, but maybe I don't know. I do, do not remember that. So we didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we didn't have the talk about, um, one big piece uh, is a illustration that a lot of people do. Uh, we never saw this. I actually went to another church and saw this. Somebody like made a drawing of a, a heart on mm. a piece of paper. And then, as they were talking about purity culture, um, without talking about purity culture, they were really not even talking about sex. They were just talking about uh, relationships, if you will. And he started to rip up the heart and uh-huh. he would do stuff like, you know, he'd say this thing, which we never heard, but um, we had whispers of it, if you will, or tremors of it in our expression, which is like every partner you sleep with takes uh-huh. a piece of your heart. Right. And, what happens when, you know, you have 15 or depending on the, right. Yeah. Maybe three partners, then, um, 
you don't have any heart left to give because they're can taking I, all of it. Can I just say somewhat tongue in cheek, but not really? What kind of sex are these people having? If that, <laughs> if they're, you know, like that's, the, I, I get it within the framework that they constructed, but now I think about it and I just say, I mean, you know, even if it wasn't a great experience, it doesn't doesn't mean that kind of stuff happened, you know? Well, and uh, what's to I mean, what I never understood and to this day don't understand outside of the stuff that's not spoken, why is it that sex does this, right? Because you can date somebody and be really close. My first girlfriend I had, I, you know, I was miserable after she broke up with me. Mm -hmm. um, and the first girl that I broke up with, I could tell she was miserable after breaking up with me. Um, so why is sex any different? Like you're giving away your heart in sex, but you're not in uh, dating or Literally in relationships or anything yeah. else. Yeah. I mean, that was a question that was never answered. I don't know if anybody ever explicitly asked it in, in our case, but um, I mean, I'm sure somebody did, but I mean, in my own experience, and I think it's a good point because um, there's something about sex that is worse than everything else, even though they would tell you one sin is not any worse than the other. I mean, believe me, as someone who's heard that applied to him many times, um, that was something that they would say. But I think, honestly, it's not just evangelical culture. I mean, this is also the legacy of American Puritan attitudes toward sex. And not just the Puritan specifically, but I mean, that puritanical approach has been here since the beginning. Um, and sure, it's changed a lot since the 1600s or whatever. But we still have that legacy of like, you know, on TV shows, they can be as violent as they want but they can't show certain parts of the body. Like, I think the best example is I was reading about, you know, the show Hannibal. So uh -huh. I, I never watched it because that's way too scary for me and I wouldn't sleep again for a week. But um, <laughs> my brother really liked it. But anyway, um, there's this one scene where they had, I don't know, some corpse somewhere and it was naked. And in order to get it past the sensors or FEC, not FEC, whatever it is. FCC. Yeah, FCC or whoever is involved with that kind of um, stuff. They said, well, you can't show that. But if you cover his his uh, ass with blood so we can't see it very well, then it's fine. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, like what? Is, or like, I remember um, if you're into I used to be into the Song of Ice and Fire novels until George decided he just didn't want to work anymore. But um, I, I saw an interview with him one time where he's he was talking about how he'll get horrible complaints all the time about how much sex is and how explicit the sex is in his books. And he says, why is it that I can describe with pages of detail an axe cleaving someone's skull into and nobody cares? But as soon as I say a penis enters a vagina, people lose their minds. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think those that that kind of stuff, it's all in the mix, too, as much as we'd like to say or they would have liked to say it's all from the Bible. It, it wasn't. It was all of the the American cultural stuff um, very much in that mix as well, I think. So, of course, we could talk a lot about what purity culture is, but I think most people who would be listening to this are Americans and they right. would pretty much know at least some semblance of purity culture. If you really want to dive deep, there's a whole YouTube movement going on with purity culture right now. And I've mm -hmm. been, I've been watching a lot of that to hear from women because as we've noted, that's 
pretty much where a lot of this damage has been done is with women. And there've been like academic research, you know, dissertations and studies done on the experiences. I mean, maybe not just women, but those are the ones I've encountered of their experiences with this stuff and how it affected them. And so um, mm -hmm. this is more known the effects that it had than it was during it. At least I hope so, because I hope if they knew it was going on, then they wouldn't have kept doing it. But I don't know. Um, I don't know. People are still doing it today. Yeah. It's, I mean, I saw that very sermon of somebody ripping up a piece of paper uh -huh. or some other thing that was, you know, a year or so old. It wasn't oh, that. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think then the, the thing we should maybe talk about first, since it's come up so much, is the way in which women were treated so terribly by this um, like the, or maybe I should say the effect of this was it taught women that they were not as valuable as men. Um, it taught women that, um, gosh, what, I mean, it taught women that they should always be subordinate to men, right? Because even when I'd hear people talk about, you know, don't do anything before you're married, but once you're married, you can do whatever your heart desires. Like somebody said that to me one time. Hmm. And I guess there was the assumption that she'd be on board, but nobody ever said as long as she wants to, right? And I don't remember ever hearing about, but also you should do what or not do whatever she wants to, right? It was this idea right. that like, I don't know if someone said this phrase, but the idea was very much communicated that the woman's job in a marriage is to sexually satisfy her husband. And I don't know how much her needs, wants, or desires factor into that other than that she should desire to do that for her husband. Yeah. So what's this say? So let's continue that. Uh, one of the major effects is what this says about women. And ironically, in the most horrible way, is it objectifies women and yeah. says that women, your role is to, as you just said, to be a sex object for your husband right. because, uh, and we'll get to effects on men, but because of who men are, you have to do this. I also think it creates with women, of course, a lot of body image issues. And, mm -hmm. and this is not something I can say from experience. This is from what I've observed from women who've shared their stories um, because they're objectified by men uh, and, and boys uh, when they're that age. Uh, well, I don't need that qualifier. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, in general. Because they're objectified by males, uh -huh. uh, they then feel this pressure from men and from the culture itself to conform um, beauty standards, to conform mm -hmm. behaviors, to conform at pretty much everything uh, towards the direction of of male, of the men. Right. Um, and it does, doesn't mean they have to necessarily, but it does say that if the culture says that if they don't, there are consequences like you won't get married, you won't have sex or you're lesser human being. Or, You'll get AIDS and die. Yeah, yeah. More and more and more. Right. And so I think, yes. And I think what that points to is that I don't think you have to be a feminist to see this um, is that, you know, it really was about controlling women. I don't know if people set out with that in their minds necessarily. Some of them did, but I don't know that everybody realized that, although they really should have. But um, I mean, it's the idea that the church, which is, again, almost entirely dominated by men, right? So men are the ones that are teaching these sorts of things by and large. I'm not saying no women did because some did, but 
the vast majority of this was coming from men and it it resulted in men telling women how they should and shouldn't dress telling men men telling women how they should and shouldn't have sex and uh if they do the results of it and i mean even to the point of i remember when we would go like swimming in the summer as a youth group like the women had to get their bathing suits approved first nobody did that for the for us you know it's crazy um and and so like they'd always couch it in like supposedly biblical things like you don't want to cause anyone to stumble um but all of that stuff it, it just seems like it was about controlling how women act behave dress and think you know um and I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that because that seems to be a very common story for how men relate to women throughout mm -hmm. history um, since people have been people. But uh, I never realized that at the time. I, I didn't I didn't know that that was what was going on. But looking at it now, it's hard. I don't know how you could not see that that's what was going on. Yeah. I think my experience is that men are then seen by this culture as wanting primarily sex mm -hmm. and men are then uh, you hear a lot about how men are visual creatures mm -hmm. and it's kind of weird. Again, another irony is that it creates this culture where it's training men to be sexual creatures. Right. I mean, it's, it's telling them that they can't help it. Right. Yeah. It's, that's how they are. It's just male nature, I suppose. And so they get into a weird relationship with pornography, with, uh, with women, with other people. Uh, and you, I mean, I've heard these stories from men uh, as well, where <laughs> there was one I was just listening to the other day, uh, this woman. Um, so there, it was a youth group and, it was formed by men to be like this wholly outstanding place, right? And um, led by men, and there were boys in that group. And that gr the boys in the group wrote, wrote to a famous pastor and said, there's this, this girl in our group um, that apparently was the attractive girl for every boy. Mm -hmm. And sh she would sometimes wear skirts and change her legs and cross them over. Not a Sharon Stone type thing, but, you know, just people seeing, seeing the legs. Sometimes when you yeah. sit, you want to cross and uncross your legs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, they, the, the correspondence said very clearly they can't see anything and they're whatever, but they were just so bothered by that that they didn't know what to do. They were just absolutely bothered by it. And they, thought that the best way to take care of it would be to get rid of the girl. Uh, I hope which, you don't mean kill her. No, no, no. Not get, <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe eventually. Maybe, yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, no, get her out of the group so uh, that she can't tempt all the other men or uh, really the boys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it kind of shows how men, uh, well, little boys at the time, boys, adolescent boys will react to that because they'll, you know, feel as if they can't control themselves and they were taught that they can't. And so they don't know what to do. And it's like, dude, uh, relax. Well, <laughs> that's what yeah. you do. I mean, you tell them to, yeah. I mean, like men, boys are taught that part of being men is that you simply cannot control yourself. Right. And so it's up to the woman then to make sure that she doesn't tempt you, which really doesn't fit with the whole, the rest of it, because like if the whole 
purity culture comes down to don't do any of these things, then I don't know why you're simultaneously teaching. Well, actually, I have an idea, but you're, you're simultaneously teaching boys that that they can't help it, um, which I think now that I talk about it, the reason is because then they want to justify their own bad behavior towards women. Right. Well, we can't right. help it. Or did yeah. you see what she was wearing or blah, blah, blah. Right. And then we wonder where things like rape culture comes from. Right. I mean. We spend all this time teaching adolescent boys who are filled with hormones and going through puberty and do think about sex all the time, right? That's just biology. Yep. And we spend all this time telling them that, you know, whether we don't say these words, but we're basically telling them, you know, you can't control yourself. And so if a woman is dressed, quote, provocatively, I mean, you're just going to have sex with her and it's her fault. I mean, that yeah. we might as well just come out and say it because that's basically what we were like we made we taught people our age that boys will are all sexual predators just in their nature, you know. And so, Absolutely. gee, I wonder why we all have such warped views of sex. <laughs> yeah, you know? I wonder. Like, you know, and, and then even if that were somehow true that all men were sexual predators, then we told the women it's their fault. Like it's just it's just so terrible. And, you know, I hear. I heard a podcast not too long ago. I can't remember which one, but it was someone and she had done, I think, maybe a dissertation or at least an academic study, a qualitative one, sort of like what I did. But her subjects were uh, women who had gone through this kind of purity culture stuff, and they were just so traumatized by it. Like, yeah. like one one woman was talking about how she was convinced that she was pregnant and had an STD all the time, even though she was a virgin, because she just was so afraid of all of this. And another yeah. one talked about how she would be afraid when a man walked in the room because she thought they were going to attack her kind of stuff. Yep. And, you know, I mean, of you can't really be, I mean, I don't blame them for that. Of course, that happened to some people because that's what we told them over and over again. We we got to talk. We've kind of danced around it, but just to be on uh, obvious about it, uh, it teaches us terrible things about sex, right? Yeah. It it talks about it, it does misogyny not just in the relationships that you have with people, but then when you finally, if you follow the plan, then you finally have sex in marriage. It's going to be misogynistic sex because it's all about pleasing the man mm -hmm. and making sure that he's satisfied. And all of a sudden, it's okay to objectify a woman if she's your wife. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's just, it's so awful because then you don't have, uh, you know, mutual respect for one another, mutual love and care for each other. Mm -hmm. uh, there's none of that in the relationship of sex if you follow the plan. Now, fortunately, sex is pretty wonderful and it does for a lot of people help them get there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a lot of damage outside of those examples and even within them that doesn't need to happen because <laughs> we've taught this terrible way of thinking about sex, which is honestly, again, the third irony, a pretty naturalistic uh -huh. evolutionary kind of way of thinking right. about Right. That's things. a good point. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's like, uh, men are only going to do what their hormones say, which is like just absolutely ridiculous mm -hmm. because within our systems, even yours, I mean, not even yours, but yours and mine included, 
we're taught a lot that mind over matter when it comes uh-huh. to lots of stuff. Why is that not the case when it comes to sex? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, um, it's just a mess. It's such a mess, you know, and, and that ignores the fact too, that as much as we, they would teach us that marriage was like the ultimate expression of Christian love, right? Like marriage is the most important thing. It ignores the fact that this approach could very well and sometimes obviously did put people together in marriage who had no idea how sexually compatible they are or aren't. And I don't mean in the sense of like, he likes this and she likes that, so it might not work. I mean, like in terms of some people are not, they may love each other and have a great relationship, but they may never be sexually compatible. And sometimes that can, you know, grow into and work out. And that that's like, there's always that process in a relationship to some extent. But I mean, if you have one of the people in the couple who is, has a very high libido and wants sex all the time, and the other person say is maybe even closer to the asexual side of the spectrum, right? That's something that maybe if, you know, you would figure out before getting married, because you'd say, you know, this may not be something that could work, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and so like, what it's what it could do for some people was it's setting up marriage, which is already a difficult proposition, or so I understand. So I'm told, giving it another way for it to be a lot of conflict and possibly even fail, because these two people never had sex until their wedding night. And then now after a, a, some amount of time goes on, they discover that that's never going to be, it's never going to work well for them. And I'm not talking in terms of specific physical acts necessarily. I'm just talking about yeah. uh, sexual needs and preferences in general. Right. And that doesn't, that doesn't even account for what the purity culture does to those things. Mm-hmm. Like, Shame being a huge piece of it, right? right? Just because you're married to somebody doesn't mean sex isn't shameful, right? In, yeah, with purity culture. Now it shouldn't be in in the best sense. Not that that should comes from a moral stance. I mean, it's sex is wonderful. It's supposed to be this uh, mutual vulnerability that we have with one another, and uh, you know, and more. I don't need to get into preaching about sex, but. <laughs> uh, when we're taught that sex is this dangerous, terrible thing for teenagers, especially, but for people who aren't married, uh, I think what I'm speaking to is that not only does purity culture have a strong negative, like, here's what we say, but it actually has a tremendous lack on how to talk about sex. Uh, like when you were talking about, uh, uh, well, I forgot what you were talking about, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to have a youth group where they just talk about the cold shower with boys? <laughs> like, uh, here's, uh, you know, and I mean that more as a metaphor than a reality, but here's what you do when your homor- hormones take over and mm-hmm. you've got to you know, handle yourself because you're going to have this happen <laughs> quite a bit in your life. You've got to handle yourself, huh? Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Hey, I've been good. You said slippery slope and other I know, stuff. I know. Sorry. You got to be just, better. I couldn't let that one go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine if we taught boys and teenage boys, you know, that instead of the fact that you're never going to be able to control yourself, so you just better hope that an attractive person doesn't get you going. What if we taught them what to like? 
how to deal with those kinds of feelings as a normal part of biology and human life. Like, yeah. and not to mention which, what is appropriate way to, to think about someone else and treat someone else. And even in your thoughts and your actions and all of that kind of stuff, instead of saying, you know, you guys are all like, you know, sex predators in, in uh, budding sex predators, right? What if we <laughs> taught them instead how to like actually not view people that way? Like in a way that was healthy and good, not in a how dare you do this kind of way. Um, now, if you write a book about purity culture, you got to call it budding sex. Budding writers. sex. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it it fits, you know, yeah, it's it really, really good application. The only other uh, effect that I, you know, we don't have to belabor this because it's, you know, we've talked about it somewhat before, but I think the other huge harm of purity culture is that it totally erases anything that is not the cisgendered straight expression mm, yeah. of sexuality, right? So the only way for a sex to be appropriate to not be sinful is if it's two cisgendered people, one of which is a man and one of which is a woman, um, anything else is sinful and evil. And I understand where that comes from in their framework, given what they believe about that kind of stuff. But as someone who didn't fit in that framework, um, it was another way to magnify the shame that I felt, even though I had enough, believe me, I had enough of it just in general. And then this was just another way to make it even worse because now not only, um, was there somewhere in the mix of emotions and fear and shame and all that, the idea that I could maybe never be a sexual being in any way at all. There was more of this, like, uh, it just exponentially multiplied the, um, fear and shame that I had regarding that sort of thing. And it just like, I mean, it's not just gay people. I mean, it had no space for gay people. Trans people had no space for people who are asexual, right? Because um, bisexual, any of it, like there's no, there's no room for any of that. And given that in any group of teenagers, statistically speaking, you'll have someone who may or like, especially I know when we're teenagers, it's all kind of, um, you know, none of a lot of things are not always set in stone, but if you're even asking those kinds of questions, the purity culture taught you that you were sinful and evil and wrong. And therefore, mm -hmm. you know, it's just another, not just erasure. It's also more ways to perpetuate that same abuse from an environment that does it enough already. Yeah. I was going to say it's confusing enough to be an adolescent right? to add so much confusion with sex first. And then with sex outside of a certain morality, has just got to be awful for for yeah. someone like you or someone who's trans or someone who's at least asking the questions of hey am i am i attracted to people of the same uh same sex am i uh you know experiencing some discomfort with my body mm. and what that might be right. even though that's not the only expression of trans well, um, any of those things right like it just there's no room for anything like that and that's a huge disservice to people um, who are asking those kinds of questions or who have those identities because some people have them from very young ages. You know, um, it's just it's so one size fits all and the world is not one size fits all. And it doesn't just compound shame. It perpetuates abuse and 
to the point of, you know, all kinds of terrible things that we've talked about before. So I don't know that a lot else needs to be said about that, but I just needed to put that in there because it's a, it's another really awful effect that this kind of thing has on anybody who is not within the very specific mold that it takes as a non-negotiable. Well, when you were talking, boy, it just really tied a lot of connections to to a lot of stuff we've talked about, which is like the question occurred to me, do we even care about our youth? Like, I know that people who teach purity culture and, uh, you know, the admonitions against uh, premarital sex and all that kind of stuff comes from a place where they're trying to care. But I think it comes more from a place of the fear mm-hmm. with uh, the divine first, and then second, the fear of what sex means for somebody who has it outside of marriage or outside of the particular pattern that that's taught within that, as you mentioned, outside of cisgendered man and woman. Right. Um, well, and I mean, yes, I think you're. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk. It's coming from a place of fear. Like I think for most parents who subscribe to this stuff, I mean, some it's all about manipulation and control. But I think generally speaking, it's more about these parents believe this stuff that we're talking about. They teach it because they believe it themselves, and I think they probably do fear that if their child has a lot of sex before they're married or any sex before they're married, that they are in danger of these ridiculous things like, oh, not they're not all ridiculous. I mean, it is possible to get pregnant or STDs. Those are real things. And so I think parents are afraid of that for their children. And rather than responsibly approaching that in a way of trying to protect them and helping them understand how to be knowledgeable at that sort of stuff and protect themselves the way that they did it, as so often happens when people are afraid of anything, the response is shut that shit down. None of it. It's all bad. It's evil. It's immoral. So just don't do it. Because I remember, I remember hearing if you never have sex, you'll never have an STD like before you're married and that kind of stuff. And so it's like, well, I suppose that's true. You never go outside. You'll never. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so like, I do think in most parents' cases, it probably was coming from somewhere that was intended to be good. But as it turns out, we, we come to this a lot in this uh, podcast, this idea that um, when something is driven by fear, it usually has pretty bad effects, usually. So... If we weren't to react in fear, if we were to take a breath and realize very first and foremost that no sin will separate you from the love of God. I think somebody said that. Somebody Uh, said it, but what does he know? Yeah. (laughs) We love certain things where he tells us we're such shitty sinners, Uh but uh (laughs) when he tells us that nothing will separate you from God's love, even your own actions, uh, we don't care for that very much. But if we all these things that do is what we read it as. Yeah. Uh, so if we didn't do that, if we didn't react in fear and uh, trying to manage people's sin, and we we moved more towards what we talked about in our last episode of uh, an ethic that focuses on taking care of other people with care, with compassion and love and grace and patience. Um, what would a sexual ethic look like? What would it look like? Not necessarily we don't have to go into what would uh, you know a teaching with kids and teenagers look like, but generally speaking, what yeah. what does a sexual ethic look like 
if we move away from a morality. Right. I mean, I think one of the things I want to, and I think probably you do, I mean, I know you do too, that we want to avoid is I don't want to replace one list of don'ts with another one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Simply because it doesn't work. That's not helpful. Um, Oh, we've been trying that for ages. I know, I know. It's just a brand new expression of those don'ts. Here's the don't list that works, right? And it, it doesn't. I think... I think what what we talked about last week and what you just said is kind of key to um, the way I try to think about a sexual ethic. And I should state too that a lot of this is still in process for me. Like I don't, I don't know for sure what I think about some of the things we may talk about, but I do think if your ethic depends not on don't do X Y Z or the rest of the alphabet, because if so, um, I think if it more depends on how is my sexual ethic about um, compassion towards other people? I think that that is going to put you in a place where you're better able to confront these types of decisions, situations, uh, whatever it may be. And so like, even like for me, I I think there are kind of two things that are like non-negotiable. I hope in every human being's sexual ethic. I mean, I guess they aren't, but I, you know, it's not even so much like a don't do this, although it's partly that, but it's more in my mind, if you want to show compassion towards other people, these two things for me are entirely necessary. And that is of course, consent, right? So anything sexual that happens, everyone involved needs to be on the same page and want to be involved in whatever is happening. Right. I, I feel like I shouldn't even have to say that, but we live in the world that we do. And so, you know, I mean, that is the first thing for me that must be present in any kind of, for any kind of sexual action, relationship, whatever to be healthy. I think it has to be predicated on consent from everyone involved. And, um, Related to that, I think that everybody needs to be of the age where that can be, that decision can be actually made. And so I'm not even saying, like, what I mean by that is obviously adults should not be having sex with people who are not adults, right? Right. And that, again, I shouldn't have to say that, but, you know, we live in the world that we do. But I'm also not necessarily saying it's about like, I'm not going to say, well, that means teenagers shouldn't with teenagers because that's that's wading into the stuff I don't want to do. I don't want to be a I'm not trying to make a, a, a law code here. I mean, all I'm trying to say is there needs to be consent and everybody involved needs to be able to consent um, in whatever way that means. Right. So. I don't know that there's anything wrong with two teenagers having sex if they're two teenagers of similar age, right? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what what you think about those two things, but those two, I'm not saying that's the extent of my sexual ethic these days, but that's kind of where I start from. Um, what What do you think or make yeah, of those? I think that's a really good start. It's where I would start. Consent, definitely. Um, not because it's the buzz right now, but I think we're learning honestly as a culture, <laughs> uh, because we're so ensconced with Puritan sexual morality, as we've talked about. Um, I think it's just that consent really matters. If mm-hmm. you're not um, consenting, then and, and it matters because sex is a two-person activity. Right. That it's as simple as that. It's not a one person activity. So if if you're doing anything outside of consent, then you're changing what the activity is, right? Mm-hmm. It's turning into 
a one person thing primarily, but all the issues that come from that, the, and we'll unpack that in a bit, but consent is a big deal. And for me, uh, I agree with age too. Like you have to, I to like broaden it a bit more. And this is where I want to talk about it, uh, today is, uh, contextualizing consent Mm -hmm. so that we understand what that really means. And I think your last, your second one is a non-negotiable for me too, which is that um, at least for a non-negotiable adults do not have sex with children. Right. Um, There is no situation in which that is healthy or compassionate. No situation where that's uh, yeah. Because in fact, the brain psychology or brain, mm-hmm. and I'm not a brain person, of course, I'm not, I'm not even talking coherently <laughs> when it comes to this, but, um, our brains are still developing right. well into our early twenties before. And I'm not saying that's an age, but just to say for kids, legal kids, uh, we're well developing and still not really fully understanding the weight of our actions and so forth. Right. Biologically, Um, until well after we're legally an adult. So that means everything legally under adult consent's not possible. I just don't believe it is. Yeah. And I mean, I I don't think, I hope we're not, no no one's spending a lot of time trying to catch the 18 year olds who are having sex with 17 and a half year olds. Right. right? Like, I mean, I I know that may be technically illegal or whatever, but I hope that's not, that's not what we're getting at. But um, I think what you said is kind of getting to the idea of, Consent is like got to be the bedrock of any sexual ethic, but consent does need to be contextualized. And what that means is that consent is difficult um, Mm -hmm. because it's it's there's so much wrapped up in that. So many dynamics involved that it is possible that a person could say yes and verbally consent to something, but it's not actually the kind of consent that that is needed. Right. Yeah. Um, Something like you know, uh, power dynamics play into consent so much mm-hmm. like a, um, you know, sexual harassment at work. Like, let's say a boss propositions a worker and she agrees to do it. But I mean, this, that's not really consent in the way that consent needs to right. be because she's pressured in a way that like, um, you know, it's people need to be on as equal of possible of ground, you know, equal ground is possible in order, I think, for there to be um, consent that is required um, in a way that, like I said, that is compassionate towards the other person is the same idea of like, you know, if intoxication is involved, that also gets really complicated um, because, you know, if one person is and one person isn't, obviously that's problematic. But even if both people are, it's just, it's a really difficult thing. And so again, not to say that, you know, don't have sex if you're drunk. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying there's all these ways that even consent itself can be difficult, um, which is why they've got to be so careful. Because if we're a if we're focused on building up another person, if we're focused on even just mutuality, right, then we're going to want to make sure we are not somehow coercing someone into sex. I mean, that right. just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And and you hit the two, uh, since I'm this guy, I go to the abstract. I The two threads of consent that really help me understand contextuality of it 
is power dynamics. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't just mean like employee, I, that's a wonderful example, of course, sexual harassment, but it could be social pressure, right? right. It, could, it be, could be within a marriage. It could be within a marriage. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so there's power dynamics and we could explore that forever, but there's also something we've touched, you touched on, which is, um, something around, uh, freedom of mind mm -hmm. of some sort. I don't know how to say that, but there's the intoxication, the, that kind of thing. There's also, I hate doing this cause I'm not trying to pit emotions against the mind, but you know, when, uh, when uh, your emotions, your infatuation of somebody is so much that, um, you know, they're, they're just, we're starting to get into trickier territory as we go. Uh, at least I am <laughs> I'm not mm -hmm. putting yeah. Ryan into that. No, I mean, I'm getting I, into yeah. trickier. Um, and I would like, so one of the challenging pieces for consent would be certainly with teenagers. And we mm -hmm. talked about that. And I, I agree with Ryan. I want to stay away from saying teenagers can't. But at the same time, at least as a, a father, perhaps even as an adult, I feel like there's a responsibility. Well, a spiritual leader, I do feel the mm -hmm. responsibility to at least uh, highlight some of the difficulties around sex. Mm -hmm. um, not to make it so that they don't have sex, but so that they have as much of the tools that they need to, to make that decision. And, and to be safe and to have exactly. it be a mutually beneficial experience, not something that is trauma or, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think I'm like veering maybe into a third non-negotiable which may be a spiritual non-negotiable, um, but I think it's got to be, and it's tied to consent just like the first, second one is, but it, I love that word, that phrase you said, the mutual beneficiary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that might be a third one. Like sex needs to be mutually beneficial at some level. Now sex is complicated just like everything else. In a marriage, it's not always mutual beneficial right. or in a relationship. But, you know, people do what they do because one's horny and one's not. And it's right. like, okay, whatever. But generally, the bedrock of that sexual relationship needs to be one in which there's a mutual, a mutualness to a mutuality, right. whatever the word would be. Right. And, you know, I don't think either of us are saying that sex is not about like if if we're talking about me and another person, of course there are things that I want and need. And no, I don't think either of us are saying that this means that you can't think about those or that those aren't involved. But I think for me it means, but the other persons are just as important. And yep. maybe sometimes it would help if I viewed them as more important than mm -hmm. mine sometimes, because that might um that might foster this kind of compassion that we're talking about. Now that kind of stuff will differ by people and by relationship. But I think what you're talking about is that in, and I tend to agree with, at least in terms of my own sexual ethic, um, is that it should be something that is beneficial for everybody. And I don't mean like necessarily always as like the best sex you've ever had. That's not the point, right? right. Although, I mean, hopefully, right? But, the, <laughs> you know, no, the point is that like uh, there's a safety in it where people who are involved can be vulnerable with each other in a way that is um, 
um, healing and, and nurturing and that sort of thing, uh, you know, where it's okay to, to explore that kind of feeling that you may not be able to in any other context in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's not so much that, um, it's not so much that like, that's quote right as, as I think that's for me, I, I view that as a healthy way to approach it. Yeah. Um, healthy for you, healthy for the other person, healthy for the relationship. Because if you're both looking to be compassionate towards the other person in your sexual relationship, you know, that's probably going to put you in a good place, even if things are difficult in somewhere in there. You know, if the motive, if the uh, disposition, if the goal is helping the other person and nurturing and loving the other person, then that's not going to take you to a bad place. I don't think it'll probably take you some of the best sex you'll ever well, have, imagine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would think and, and yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess I should say too, that this not now the consent and the age stuff, I think is like I said, non-negotiable for any sexual relationship in terms, at least that's how I see it. And I think most people do. Gosh, I hope so. But this other part, I, I think, um, I'm not trying to say that all of this necessarily has to be 100% the same for every person, right? So personally, I don't per, like personally, I think for me, healthy sexual relationships should take place in some type of committed relationship. And I'm not going to put boundaries on it more than that, because I think it's different for everybody. Maybe for some people that is only marriage. Um, and maybe some people it's some kind of committed relationship or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to use this to say that if people decide to have sex on a, I don't even like saying casual sex because that kind of demeans it just from the way you talk about it. But if someone else decides that they, that that is what they need and want to do and everybody involved wants to be doing that and they are doing that in a way that nobody is being hurt. Well, I'm not going to say that that's like wrong or that nobody should yeah. ever do that simply because it doesn't help. And honestly, I'm not everybody else. I don't know what everybody else needs, right? I think it's possible that that could present more opportunities for some kind of, some of these kind of things that are less than healthy. But I don't think that I can say that I know for sure that what I have decided in like the, the way that my relationship works is not necessarily going to be the same for every person is all I'm yeah. trying to say. And that stuff's not intrinsically unhealthy. It's just, as you, I love that point. You said, uh, it might be more prone to it. That's my, it might word. not be, you know, I mean, but it, it might it, not be, it certainly is for me. <laughs> it would be, you know, um, but that may not be the case for everybody. And I just want to acknowledge that because like I, maybe we've said this a lot, but I really am trying not to change my, uh, I don't want to exchange a sexual morality code for another one. Right. Um, because it does not only does it not work, but it hurts people. And I think maybe it's as simple as saying is what we're trying to get at with all of this is that this is going to blow your mind, but sex shouldn't hurt people, <laughs> right? Like sex is supposed to be a good thing that helps people. And yet, whether it's the purity culture or just, you know, kind of, you know, the um, me too rape culture kind of stuff, those things are terrible because they hurt people. And if we are Christians and we want to love people, if we're trying to come, trying to go at this with the idea of compassion, well, then isn't it as simple as we should do whatever it takes to do our best not to hurt people? Yeah, absolutely. And, and recognizing that 
there, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not trying to fall into the sex is somehow better or worse, like stuff that we were taught. But I do think that sexual hurt, sexual trauma even can affect people in ways that is more severe than other things, just because of how we are as like our psychology, biology, et cetera. Right. And so that's the other reason you just gotta be really careful with this because, you know, if I, um, lose my temper with someone and argue with them. And maybe I'm even like an asshole and I'm mean, like that's going to hurt somebody, but it's, it's not going to cause the kind of trauma that, that some kind yeah. of sexual trauma or a- event could happen. It's you know? definitely on a different level. And I don't think it, it'd be interesting to, to hear from people in other cultures where purity culture is not a thing, but I right. do not think that that is, uh, response or, um, let's say conditioned by the way that we think about sex in America in general. No. I don't, I, mean, I don't think I don't, that's the case. Any healthy sexual ethic or whatever I think should have to de- depend on that and should recognize that this is a very serious thing. So I guess that's what I would say about like the, if people have decided that you know, for them, sex is not doesn't have to be within a, a specific relational boundary. That's fine. And I'm not going to um, tell them, like I said, their own boundaries as long as everybody is is on board and is not mm-hmm. being hurt by it, um, whatever that means, you know. But I do think that it is more serious just in the sense that the potential for harm is bigger than other things. And I think that all of us, whatever we think about what kind of sex is is or sexual relationships isn't are not okay i think we all need to remember that this is a very serious thing because of the effect it can have on people involved yeah it's serious so my uh, i'm kind of getting some red flags and triggering not because this is what you mean but i i just want to make sure that it's clear serious not cuz seriousness is why purity culture became a thing right because we think it's serious to be pure, to be clean and all that. You're not saying that at all. So I'm not even saying that, but the word serious, at least from my bringing up has some connection to a lot of what we said. And so I I think it'd just be good very quickly to say, I think, and to ask more importantly, I think what you're trying to say is that um, sex in it in and of itself is not serious it is the potential for um relational and personal damage and trauma that could happen because of the nature of sex being kind of a vulnerable thing mm-hmm. that that's what is serious and right yeah i mean it wasn't so much about the physical action itself um is not what i mean um necessarily right what i what i mean is yeah the the effects that it it can have because of so many things that we may never know just i mean we don't know what kind of sexual traumas people have earlier in their lives and stuff you know and i'm not saying that doesn't ruin them that's not at all what i mean i just mean all of this stuff plays into it and so we just want to be careful to be respectful of the other person and compassionate towards them because when it comes to sex, if we are not, I just, it can really hurt people in ways that some yeah. other things can't. That's all I meant. Yeah. And I like that. That's absolutely, I mean, that's where my heart for teenagers when they're thinking about sex comes from is not from saying, Hey, if you do this, you're broken and you're a terrible person, but teenagers generally don't know what, what a lot of adults know. Right. Um, they know a lot of things we don't know, but when it comes to sex, 
you know, especially through the confusing time that is the teenage life, um, you know, we want to help them as best as we can, not to avoid a mistake that's going to haunt them forever, but for them to make a, a compassionate and loving choice for themselves mm-hmm. and for the people that they uh, they choose to have sex with. Right. Right. And I think it's about, I know we said we weren't going to talk about what, <laughs> what we should teach children or uh, teenagers, but I just quickly do want to say, I wonder what, how much more, I think it'd be so much more beneficial if we spent time teaching, you know, kids and teenagers, like, how do you protect yourself? But not in the sense of, cause if you have sex, you're ruined forever. But how do right. you make sure that everybody is consenting? And how do you decide if you are if you are ready to have sex or not? And yeah. how do you decide that? Not not how do other people Goodness. pressure you about that? You know that kind of stuff. And could you I'd, imagine if those were the lessons we were teaching? I mean, we're just starting like thinking about this, but not. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of like creating anything, but. Just I think to myself, what would it look like if that was the conversation I was having when I was a teenager? Right, right. It'd be very uncomfortable and weird, but you know, some people are really suited to be able to have those conversations with teenagers. Right, and, right. Some are better, like some are, and some are terrible at them. Like I said, yeah. about at the beginning, and <laughs> but and, it'd know, be great because you'd feel like you were being equipped to handle something that's very serious for every at least boy. That's what I'm thinking through because I'm, I'm I was a boy. Um, I'm thinking about sex a lot when I was a boy and I didn't know what to do with all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And someone having a conversation about it, boy, that would change so much. Well, and what if instead of telling teenage boys not to masturbate, <laughs> which is just ludicrous on its face yeah. anyway, <laughs> but like, what if, what if instead of that, we told them about, you know, the problems of lust and it's not because lust is the worst sin. It's because it can, um, you know, it, it makes it easier to objectify the other person. And like, so what if we taught them compassion towards women or men yeah. um, instead of if you look at porn, you're on your way to hell and God is mad at you, you know, or I someone said to us one time, it's it's they said it's what was it? They say spiritual rape. They might have something like oh, that, goodness. you know, Great. and so like it's like. As you can tell, that was not helpful, uh, as anybody would be able to tell that. <laughs> well, we helpful. heard it was adultery against your future spouse. Right. I don't know if I said that before. but Yeah, but so like what if instead of that nonsense, we told them about why porn can be problematic for the effects it has on you and other people, not it's because uh you know you are a sinner destined for the for hellfires for because you masturbated yeah. yesterday you know what i mean like it's just you grow hair out of your palms well, exactly it's just as crazy I mean, it's right just nonsense i think when we do that we we uh set ourselves up for a lot of problems and we traumatize people who are you know teenagers children and teenagers who are very in some ways more susceptible to that kind of trauma and we don't i mean i hope we don't want to do that Right. Yeah. Well, it's brought me to where I am and I'm fortunate enough uh, to, because of the journey on the frontier to be moving away from a lot of the trauma and so forth. And it's nowhere near what others, especially women have endured, but um, I'm starting to have a healthier idea of what sex should be or what it could be rather. Mm -hmm. Um, And Boy, I got to tell you, on the other side of it, it's so much better than mm-hmm. the other shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, it it uh, 
Yeah, I think it's both more and less than it was made out to be for us, right? Yeah. It is so much more than a list of do's and don'ts. And it's so much less in the sense that it it's not a list of do's and don'ts, right? <laughs> like it just these things really are about the other person and if we even if we don't always know what to do or say and it's confusing sometimes like if your starting point is compassion and the other person's is too, you're going to figure that stuff out. Right. And yeah. that the rest of it really will work itself out as it does in relationships and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I just, I, again, I, I, I am constantly flummoxed as we've said before that we have to preach or talk so much about compassion I know. when we're talking generally to the Christian the world, but here we are. I guess I should stop being surprised. You know, it's like it's it's not about morality. It's about compassion. Yeah. You know what I love about our conversation? We did what everyone hates about my approach to philosophy when they start talking to me and they ask me, well, what do you think? Do you think this is the case? And my answer is always perhaps or yeah. depends. Oh, Why depends. do you want to know? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It depends on a lot of things that we can't know unless we unless we are in the situation ourselves at that specific time. You know, um, it doesn't mean like, like I said, like we started this. It doesn't mean that you can't know anything or that literally anything goes. Nobody, of course, said that. Yeah, but it just means of like we've overcomplicated this so much in some ways. It's kind of that dual thing, you know, where. We both, like I said earlier, I guess, but this idea of like, if we follow Jesus, whatever we're talking about, sex or anything else, we really should be about the other person first, you know? And I know that's hard to do. <laughs> it is because Jesus said it. So, of course, it's hard to do. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think Jesus said it specifically about sex, but I imagine he'd be on board, you know, um, yeah. with compassion. <laughs> Uh, so it's like, well, let's, let's see what we can do there. And then that has room for learning that has room for exploring with the other person. And it makes it, I think it makes it a lot less likely for any kind of trauma to happen because you love the other person. You're not just trying to meet your own needs or perceived yeah. needs or whatever it is. And so hopefully the trend continues where people continue to speak out about how this was damaging, not as it necessarily, unless maybe this is what they need, but not so much for me as a, how dare this, you did this to me as much as let's not continue this same mistake with, with, uh, people, your kids age, you know, like let's, we've made some mistakes here, so let's not keep doing it. Yeah. Let's, let's change course. And, uh, see how that can really help. I mean, that would just help so much for people's lives. And I think this, uh, everything involved around this in general. So you think we're going to get in trouble for this episode with who? <laughs> I don't know. The scores I mean, of people that listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the, uh, the abstinence only lobby will be real up in arms <laughs> about this, you know, uh, or the, um, you know, it's the, uh, the, um, what are they called? Uh, focus on the family probably is yeah, not going right. to be on board, but <laughs> you know, I shouldn't forward it to Lou Dobson or to Lou James Dobson. Dobson, James Dobson. Uh, no, I think you should actually. And just say, Hey, stupid. Just imagine <laughs> if you taught people this stuff. 
except that I don't think it would help. But um, is he even still alive? I guess he's still alive. I don't. I don't think he is. I yeah. actually think. Well, he's that dead. group that the the um, focus on the family was his group. So yeah, I just yeah, it's just like let's uh, let's. It's such a big responsibility when we teach anybody, but especially when we teach children and young people. Um, and we really need to take that seriously, even though I don't know that I'll ever be in the place to teach a child or teenager this kind of stuff. But I mean, it's true for adults, too. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. In fact, just as much. It's it's different, though, you know. Um, yeah. But when we teach people about something like this, we got to be so careful. Um because of the kinds of effects it can have and has had in our past on us. So I guess, you know, I'm sure there's more that could be said, um, but I think that might be a good place for us to stop today. And I hope that it has been thought provoking for you. And especially those of you who have children, I hope it it helps you think about this kind of stuff because you've got a big responsibility there. But regardless of that side of things, I guess like we always come back to is just like, could we try having some compassion? And I don't even mean that facetiously. I, I mean that like seriously, like if we follow Christ, and honestly, even if we don't, if if you are not a Christian and you're listening, I think compassion is not going to be something that most people are going to argue with because it's going to do good things in your life and the life of other people. And it's And I don't think it's any different when it comes to sex. So... If you have any thoughts about this episode or other ones, but if you want to tell us about why we're uh, immoral and on our way to hell, please do send us an email. Um, or if you just more seriously just would like to interact about any of the things we talked about, um, send us an email at frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about this or anything else. And like we said at the beginning, just remember it's okay not to know all the answers. Um, it's okay to explore. It's okay to look around and you don't have to do that by yourself. Um, because even if in no other way, this podcast can be a way that hopefully can help us all do that. So just a reminder that it's okay. It's going to be okay. And God will take care of us. 